It's October 17th, 2022. This is a special edition of Rook. Hi there, welcome to episode 207 of Rook and another special edition. Never forget the massacre of Zahedan. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Hello to you from Toronto. Salam Dustan Aziz. Durud In all the absolutely gutting news that is coming out of Iran, let's never forget the massacre of Zahedan. In all the fury and fervor and wishes for this regime to be gone, never forget the massacre of Zahedan. For all the apologists still singing a reformist song, don't let them forget the massacre of Zahedan. Let's make a collective pledge that from this moment on, we will never forget the massacre of Zahedan. As the Iranian revolution of 2022 gathers steam, there are so many images and moments that serve to infuriate, radiate, and animate a desire to see the termination of this unethical dystopian theocracy. But is there any single event in the last month that more exemplifies the naked tyranny of the Islamic Republic of Iran? Never forget the massacre of Zahedan. It's been just over two weeks since the deadliest incident in this uprising to date. This would be the occasion heretofore named Bloody Friday, when militia and regime thugs opened fire on a crowd of protesters, including children and people who were praying. At least 66 are known to have died in that one incident, but the truth is the numbers could be much, much higher. Zahedan is the main city of Sistan Baluchistan, Iran's poorest region on the border with Pakistan and Afghanistan in the southeast. It's a place characterized by water scarcity, environmental injustice, and decades of neglect and hardship under the Islamic Republic. Like other remote ethnic areas including Sanandaj or Ardabil, it doesn't get the headlines like the major urban epicenters, but surely we have to focus far beyond Tehran. Never forget the massacre of Zahedan. As protesters demonstrated outside a police station and threw some stones, security forces and plainclothes militia opened live ammunition on the crowd. Not only protesters, but those who were just standing nearby and watching were shot. They were injured, they were killed. By evening, the word is they were firing at anyone they saw on the streets. It's a macabre scene that you would base a horror movie on. Never forget the massacre of Zahedan. And as if on cue, the regime has tried to suppress information coming out about this atrocity. Who were some of these so-called terrorists armed with nothing other than stones? Omid Saharzehi, 17 years old. Sadis Kashani, 14 years old. Mohammad Rakhshani, 12 years old. It's so grisly, it defies imagination. This was a massacre. What other word can be used for the random killing of scores of children and people who were praying? There is no way to whitewash an event so drowned in blood. No amount of internet blockages and disruption of cellular networks can forever hide the stain of murder on the hands of this Islamic Republic. The regime thugs had orders to kill and with no fear of any consequences. Why? Well, maybe they assumed that no one would care 
about the people of Balochistan. And it's up to us to prove them wrong. Never forget the massacre of Zahidhan. special edition of Rook, I will be joined once again by a few voices from across our diaspora. The founder and director of the Cyrus Forum, Mariam Memarsadeghi in Washington, D.C., acclaimed British-Iranian artist Afshin Naguni in London, U.K., and former gymnastics champion and popular YouTuber Shahzad Pejman in Whitby, Canada, as well as a special Rook Roundtable to kick things off. This is episode 207, a special edition of Rook, The Uprising over a month and growing. Never forget the massacre of Zahidan. All right, here we go. A few fantastic guests on this episode 207. And to kick things off, our Rook Roundtable uh, and Pega is here. Hi, Pega. Hello. You're still smart, Pega, but uh, in these serious <laughs> days, I feel silly doing the monikers for yeah. everybody. Shia is here as well. Hi, hi. Hi, Shia. And a couple of new voices to add to the Rook on Air team for this show. Our graphics and video producer is usually behind the scenes, but is at the table today, Anahita Nayabi. Hello. Hi, Jinta. Hi. And media performer and business consultant, Dario Emami, is with us today. Hello, Dario. Hello. All right, so thank you, everybody. For um, we have a full studio here. This is a it's a uh, over a month and growing is mm-hmm. the title of of today's episode. And I have to say, um, I was one of those people. I'll probably explain this to a couple of our guests who come on too. That that was I don't know if I was I, I didn't dare to dream or I was too cynical or what. I was one of those people kind of after a few days going. I'm not sure. Even after we did the first episode with the voices in Iran. We've been doing that on Thursdays where we speak to people inside Iran. And after I, we heard from some of those frontline protesters and it was clear how much, how isolated they are and how much help they needed, I was really dispirited and thinking, well, this is going to be another Aubon, a larger version of it and one that comes more frequently now and one that's more violent and mm-hmm. we're going to get closer eventually. But, um, but not only has it lasted... Um, but the, 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 this would be the the uprising, the protest movement, the revolution, if you will. Um, but it feels like it's really solidifying both inside Iran, like this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. No, we're not going anywhere. And in the diaspora as well, Definitely. in terms of people acclimatizing to our new life, which mm-hmm. is we're going to do whatever we can to support our sisters and brothers in Iran. Is that Would that be your your feeling? Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you say that because um, when this all started, I kept on saying, within the first week or so, I kept on saying to friends, family, whoever I would talk to, that I'm cautiously optimistic. Mm. And um, just earlier today, I actually posted something on Instagram and, and I was I, I had this kind of quote and I was saying, now I'm choosing to be hopeful. Mm. And I really am. And so there's been this shift between, you know, just being optimistic or cautiously optimistic as i was saying kind of at the onset and and now where you know this has really picked up momentum whether it be inside or outside of iran Mm -hmm. 
the Western world, which we you know we were talking about weeks ago, has really um, started to show their support. Started to wake up. Yeah, exactly. Mm. They've started to wake up. So, you know, this is this is really taken uh, taken force. And just to calibrate the tone here, we're not. I'm I'm not saying, and I'm sure none of us are saying, um, "Yay, Eureka! Mm-hmm. The promised land is here." Um, and in fact, you know, I've just done this opening essay here on on Zahedam, which makes me sick thinking mm-hmm. about it. And uh, it's not a unique situation in Iran. It's 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 pretty bad. It's about as bad as it gets anywhere in the yeah. world, that kind of massacre uh, in history. And this is the kind of thing that, oh, in a moment, I'm going to ask you guys about the uh, the Evin prison fire on mm-hmm. the weekend. So we know that there's so many horrible things happening and so much more to come. But the idea that there is this determination um, led by the youth who are leading us the, in, in Iran that is unabated. Shai, I see you nodding over there. Yes, I mean, I remember, I mean, as you said, the first episode that we like started talking about morality police. <laughs> I mean, now it's like uh, a revolution led by youth and wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we've come a long way from just describing what Gashta Ershad is. Yes, yeah, yes. Um, Daria, your, your thoughts. Yeah, like I remember the first um, gathering that we had um, it was in front of CIBC. It was right the day after Massa got killed. Mm. Um, it was a couple hundred people. I think it was in front of CBC. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. Not the bank, CIBC. Yes. <laughs> but God, that would have yes. been a good place too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was, yeah, 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 it was in front of CBC. And we were actually hoping to have uh, media coverage. I think I saw only one reporter there. Mm. Uh, I don't know which media they were from, but still, like it was only a couple hundred people there. Yeah. And... Honestly, I went there thinking that, okay, we should be supporting this, but I was not hopeful this to be continuing mm-hmm. after a month with more and more people every day. So, And yeah. it, it's, it's quite literally the teenagers of Iran dragging the asses yeah. of the rest of us going, no. We're not fucking get, you know you you guys the re- you want to be part of this we're because we're going mm-hmm. we're going and and you, you know, we get to we talk a lot about shaming these days who's shaming they are shaming I think a- any one of oh, us yeah. that wants to you know uh, uh, rest on our uh, okay we've come so far that in the last mm-hmm. month that you know they're just like let's keep going and you guys better be with us if you claim to care about this and and so the the diaspora is rising to that occasion I. I feel increasingly, and we'll talk about the demonstration we were on on the weekend, Daria, I saw you there, and um, and he said, you want to say something about this in terms of feeling, the feeling you have about passing the one month mark, and now we definitely know, uh, this is, I remember Kambi Soseni was one on one, one of our shows about a month ago when, when this started, and he said, this time is different, this time is different. Mm-hmm. We now, now know that empirically. This is different because it simply lasted longer than That's anything, right. including the Green Movement, by the way, which is was the big one that we circled, you know, in terms of the largest demonstrations that have happened since the 79 revolution mm-hmm. against this regime. And that's been surpassed now in terms of the, the strength of this. Of course, because I was in Iran when... Massa killed. Yes. So, and I, I saw what's happening in the city, and my friends were in the protest in the like the couple the first days, and I was sure this time is different than the other times. Yes. 
And I should just note, um, you're, you're listening to the voice of Anahita. So Anahita, about uh, actually probably five, six weeks ago, you came to me and said, um, my my father's not doing well and I have to go back to Iran. It was within three or four days. You had to buy a ticket and go and, and you're such a wonderful family member. You went and took care of your parents in Iran, of course. And we said, yes, go, go. So we're going to miss you here. But And literally, pretty much the moment you got to Iran, yeah. the the situation happened with the killing of well, Masa. Like after, really, uh, right. Yeah, and Masa Amini and... Uh, and there were some scary days in the beginning too. We couldn't, we didn't know if you were okay, if we couldn't get in touch with you, and and then you've you just came back about a week ago, and so you've got a real firsthand uh, experience, which we'll talk about in a moment. Look, um, we we're now using this space each week before we get to our feature guests to talk about things that happen uh, each day, and there's so much fast-moving experience here. We don't do breaking news on on this program because we're more of a podcast that's re- uh, reflecting and discussing. But but the weekend was certainly colored by the, the this horrific fire that we all saw mm-hmm. um, in, in Evian Prison. And, and, and Daria, you, you and I, we were, and Anahita too, we were at the um, protest in Toronto. And at first... Um, my cousin actually said, "Oh, it looks like the rioters are, you know, it, it was it was it was cast as maybe this is a good thing. The rioters are taking over, you know, because we know that Evin Prison too is populated by um, human rights campaigners, political prisoners, artists. I mean, uh, uh, and so it's it's got extreme symbolic um, significance, not just because it's this harsh." terrorizing place but also because of the the kind of people who are kept there um but as the afternoon went on it was afternoon toronto time um it started to become clear that this this is there's something more nefarious afoot here and um it was in fact terrifying what the news that we were hearing in terms of bombs and gunshots and this fire uh and i remember thinking i i said to you Anita, i thought I, I want to talk about this i got to do a video about this I, because this felt like another moment it still feels that way when i think about it where if, if that same situation was happening in san francisco or mm-hmm. was happening in brussels or the entire world would be talking about it right now but that it happened in tehran was okay this is another thing that goes on in iran but anahita you were you were very um, instrumental in saying, yes, Jean, please do this video or something because you were directly hearing from, you have a family member currently in Evin, is it? Yeah, I I have a family member for seven years in the Evin prison and he's Kurdish, Kurdish man. And um, of course we were worried about him, not just him, about everyone that were there. And I just remember one time uh, that I heard about from him, uh, he said, um, in the in the Evin pr- prison, there is the professor of universities, there is writers, there yeah, is yeah. the human rights activists, and all those people are there. So imagine how it's important these people be safe. Yeah, that's why I was like, you when really you asked me, yeah, 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 it's 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 really interesting because. Um, the Iranian people are, I think, only people who are worried about the people who are in the prison. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, people saying, and not only that, but writers, artists, incredibly creative people. Uh, um, um, there's 
unjustly detain people around the world, but there's nothing that defines that more mm-hmm. than the, the Iranian um, prison system. Yeah, I read this um, quote with you know all the news coming out of what what was going on with Evian Prison, and there was this quote that said, um, you know, Evian Prison might be the only place in the world where we're not afraid of the people who are in prison. Right. We're afraid of those keeping them in prison. And it just, I mean, that, that quote, it sounds so simple, but when you really think about it, to think of the people who are actually behind those bars, it just, it's mind boggling to think that, you know, such innocent individuals who are the best and the brightest in our country are behind bars. And what we're terrified about is the individuals who are keeping them there. And by the way, we still don't know exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. We don't know how many people have died. We don't know what the chain of events were, but what we do know I'm willing to bank on it, is that what the state media, what the regime claims happened, isn't. You know, I mean, a, a, a few people got scuffed up, everything's fine here, move along, yeah. everybody. Um, I, I, don't, I don't even, it defies logic to see the nature of that fire mm-hmm. with explosions and gunshots, by the way. Yep. Uh, translating into a few people were injured, yeah, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that, uh, and... I was, I was talking to my mom and she said uh, we don't know exactly what's going on and I said well we kind of do because it's been decades <laughs> like you know this we know we know that we know exactly what's going on I mean right. we we know that at the end of the day there is a, a war going on as I said in that video that I made between uh, an out of touch totalitarian regime and the, the people of a country mm-hmm. uh, including those who are inside a prison yeah um, uh, it was Friday I was talking to one of my friends and uh, he said uh, he was like a sad I mean in these days everybody are kind of a sad but he was very sad and I asked him what's were you like this down and he said you know Folanio Folanio Folani they're in Evin and Friends of yours. Yeah, friends friends of me. And I was shocked. And a day after when I saw the Evin fire, I mean, <laughs> uh, I I couldn't breathe. I really couldn't breathe. I, I My heart was beating and yeah. it was really hard. And yeah, and you're right. We know it's been four decades, 43 yeah. years, and we know. Yeah. You know, we, we know it wasn't some terrorist burglar prisoners decided to turn on each other or some yes. nonsense that they were talking about. Can I just ask you, what do you, what are, what are your friends, what were they detained for? They, they were in protest. Because of the protest. Yeah, yeah. recently. They I mean, that detained. was the other really, it's, it's just, it's so uh, dark and infuriating, this idea that, you know, they round up and detain people who are just, ex, you know, expressing themselves. Mm-hmm. And then they fucking bomb them in the prison. I mean, you yeah. know, it, it, you can't think of a scenario that is that is that is more dark and dystopian and twisted than that, right? And, and it's every step of the way, like you're saying. I mean, it's you know, it's from taking ambulances and falsifying them as, as medical transport, but really being transportation to these prisons, and then taking them to the prison, and the furthering of brutality and the continued Oh, picking people up at the hospital. Let's start with that. Yeah, I mean, right? exactly. Somebody who's injured that, that they've shot, they then take from the hospital mm-hmm. and say, okay, now we're going to take you to the prison. That's right. Yeah. What, can I ask you what your family member is there for, the, the, the Kurdish man that is, uh, do you know why he's in prison? 
Yeah, yeah, I know, but mm. you don't want to say. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. Uh, and uh, actually, this is a political things, but um, he's in there for political reasons. Yes. He's a political yes. prisoner. That's what I wanted to get yes. at. Yes. He, it's not like he stole stuff from a no, bank no, or for something. Sure yeah, not. yeah. Yes. <laughs> to be yeah. clear about this, yeah. Um, so we were on this protest I mentioned at the time, and, and Daria, I wanted you to 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 speak to this because there was a. It's like we have a choice every moment whether we're going to think about the really deflating and horrible side of what's going on, or, or kind of find the pieces of inspiration and and certainly these demonstrations. And we are fortunate enough to be in Toronto, where there is a a vibrant and strong Iranian Canadian community, but one that is uh, expressing itself in ways that um, I have never seen in my lifetime. And I'm the guy who's been, you know hosting the BAM fundraiser in 2003, you know, I'm kind of aware of the the community. And I was absolutely, I mean, I could feel myself uh, just outside of my body watching myself w- walk with thousands of I- Iranian Canadians on major downtown streets, Bloor mm-hmm. Street and Young Street, if anybody's out there who lives in Canada or knows, these are, these are, this is pretty much our, you know, our Fifth Avenue or something, our major street going down. And that kind of show of solidarity, uh, that kind of show of, of numbers and strength was really, really inspiring. Um, and would have been the story for me, uh, you know, would have been something I, w- I want to talk about, except for then while we were there, we started hearing about Evin. You were there, Daria, and you had a big sign you were holding that yeah. said, this is uh, a revolution. This is a revolution. Yeah. Tell me, for, yeah, first of all, why you made that sign. You, By the way, with the blue hair and the giant sign, everybody was <laughs> well aware that you were there. Um, yeah, tell, tell me about your experience um, making that sign and holding it because I think I could even see a lot of people were coming up to you because you were holding this big, this is a revolution sign. Yeah, honestly, um, the reason that I created, I made that sign was that it is a revolution. Like all we talked about, it's not like any other time that was before. And um, quite honestly, there were times that I was tired. Like, because all of us um, being outside of Iran, we just go to sleep with our phone in hand, waking up with phone, like looking at the news, going through Twitter. And you came to Canada about 10 years ago, right? Yeah, 10 years ago. And then like there was one time, like it was two weeks ago that I was really tired. I I thought, okay, I can't look at my phone anymore. Um, I uninstalled Twitter for one day. I couldn't, I was just like, no, I I can't actually stay away. I installed it back because I mean, like people in Iran are going out of their way. They they going out. Like there was this tweet that I read. The girl was saying that yeah, like I'm going out right now. I'm looking at my room. I don't know if I will see it again. Yeah. So like when people are doing that, like you cannot be tired. You cannot get tired here. We we have the privilege of going out here and our streets. Police are like keeping the helping roads. us helping, helping us, us demonstrate. Yeah. 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 Like everything is at our favor. So this is the least we can do. Mm. And absolutely, this is a revolution. When people from 1,000 miles away, they are really inspiring us mm. um, to to not get tired. How can that be a revolution? Mm-hmm. It is not like any other time that was before. Well said. Now, one of the things that you wanted to talk about today was um, you went out of your way to bring non-Iranian friends to the demonstration. 
um, which is also inspiring because we tend to sometimes be, we, we famously had that 50,000 plus demonstration in Richmond Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for those of you who are listening around the world don't know the dynamics of the city, Richmond Hill is north of Toronto and it's where the Persian community resides, but not much else, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of the, the, the media and the, and the, you know, other, the larger community. And so that giant demonstration, which was amazing, happened, but not a lot of people noticed it, ironically enough, given even though it was over 50,000 people because it kind of happened in a bubble. This was in downtown Toronto and uh, non-Iranians couldn't miss it, but also something has shifted in the last two or three weeks, I guess in the last week or two, I should say, where um, there's an awareness, at least in an urban place like Toronto, where there is a Persian community amongst non-Iranians that something's going on. So what was your experience with this? Yeah, like um, really from the beginning, I tried to um, just include my, at least my circle of uh, friends into it. Um, and I've been uh, telling them, I'm sorry, I'm uh, spamming your feed with all these uh, maybe Post that you're not interested in, but this is very important to us, and you should listen. You shouldn't like, although this is a sensitive content, and mm. Instagram is filtering it for you. Please watch it because this is what's happening in Iran, and it's. I think it's very important because um, people are very used to seeing, unfortunately, seeing these sort of harsh events happening in Middle East, and they're used to it. They're just like, okay, yeah, it's another thing. People in Western, or they almost. Thing. It's. It might even be darker than that. It's that they expect it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, well, it's yeah. the Middle East, you know. That's true. Yeah. Like, but I think it's on us. Like, I cannot do anything else, quite honestly. Like, and I always feel the guilt that okay, I'm here. What can I do? And this is what I can do. I can just raise that awareness, at least to the people who listen to me. Um, so yeah, I've been trying to do that, and then over the past few weeks, I started seeing that oh, okay. Um, apparently, people are actually listening. They're mm. not skipping my stories anymore uh, because they started posting as well. They, Non-Iranians. Non-Iranian oh, friends. Okay. Yeah, like they started posting, sharing what I've been posting, which is very great. And then they started messaging me, okay, where is the next protest? I want to come mm. with you. I want to support. And when, like, even for that um, that one which was in Richmond Hill, they mm. wanted to come, but it was far away, so <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they bailed. Um, but your hipster downtown friends, yeah, <laughs> yes. okay. Um, but with this one, yeah, they they came, and it, it was it was very heartwarming. Not only that, that they um, just came to support, which was like enough for me. I was just like, okay, I'm grateful that mm-hmm. you came. But also, there was this poster of. Um, pictures of Mahsa, Hadi, Nika, and Sarina mm. with uh, some information about them. And then one of my friends asked, oh, who are those girls? I only want know one of them, which was Mahsa Amini. Mm. And then I was gathering my thoughts who I should be starting with, like which one should I go first? And by the time that I was thinking, the other friend of mine started actually saying that, okay, yeah, you know, um, like he started saying that, okay, this is Hadith, this is Nika, mm. and uh, giving her the full story of how uh, each of them got murdered and what went this on. This is a non-Iranian friend. Yeah, yeah, a non-Iranian friend. And how like um, like they are the face of this movement mm. now because also they had social media, So, but there are a lot more of people going through the same thing. Mm. 
but there is no platform for them. So that's why we have to keep supporting them. And it, like, I was stunned, honestly. Like, I was just like, I'm, I'm speechless. Thank yeah. you so much. And, um, and gentlemen, yeah, just yeah. say that, you know, for non-Iranians who are listening, because we have a, a fair amount who listen to this show, you might be rolling your eyes going, <laughs> we're not idiots or we care, <laughs> you know, we're listening to Rokwin. But uh, it, it's, it speaks to our mindset in the in the Iranian diaspora community or what we felt for years mm-hmm. that we're this surprised that somebody cares or right. you know wants to come on the demonstration it really is kind of a shock mm-hmm. uh, and 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 it it partly is also because those first two weeks where yeah. there was just nothing you know crickets no media zero uh, and the fact that that is changing and it's changing because of the strength of the, the, the those young people in Iran and who are leading this thing and and those the rest of the diaspora that's joining in um, but yeah that's a that's a an in, interesting insight into the way we think that mm-hmm. we're just freaking out that some of course your friend knows about this they probably know about apartheid in South Africa or what's going on in Ukraine or or China moving into Taiwan or whatever but when it's about Iran we think well they're not going to be interested. So you you were going to say more. I cut you off. Go ahead, Daria. You you there, you ran into a a woman who. So after uh, the demonstration was done, and I was going home with my big sign, um, <laughs> there was this woman came to me because uh, it was still close to Nathan Phillips Square where um, the you know ending of the gathering was, uh, and she asked what was like about, and I just just showed her my sign. I was just like, okay, it's about Iran and what's going on. I didn't even need to explain anything more. She started crying. And honestly, like, again, like th- these two things happened right after each other. I I was very touched mm. and she started crying. She said that, I know like uh, what you are, you guys are going through. Please, please, please do not stop. Uh, supporting the women of Iran. Mm. You guys are educated, beautiful, kind, generous people. Uh, anyone who I know here that's Iranian, like they're great people and mm. world needs to know mm. who you really are. And and yeah, like she was crying and I, I couldn't stop crying either. So it was just like a moment, but uh, but it, it, was, it was very interesting for uh, a random person to come to me and yeah. say that. One of the reasons I don't, I'm usually very careful on this show because ultimately our audience is, is much larger outside of Canada than it is inside Canada. I mean, it's Canada is about, makes about 35% of, of the people who listen to our program. But I know this experience that we're having in Toronto is the same thing you guys are experiencing in, in DC or in LA or in London or in Sydney on those demonstrations you're going on and this, this feeling of pride that we've gotten from, you know, again, we owe that to the those the people in Iran who are inspiring this in us. Now, um, Anahita, you're at the table because uh, another thing that's going on right now, maybe in a less auspicious way, if we turn the conversation, uh, I did this this opening um, monologue here about Zahidan, but I mentioned uh, Sanandaj and Ardabilin, and, and I know, uh, your background is Kurd, uh, and you uh, have family and friends in Kurdistan, and so you had some information. Not only have you just come back from Iran, but um, you know some of what, the situation of what's happening 
in and around, for example, Sanandaj, which uh, as bad as things are in places like Tehran or, or Mashhad that we hear a lot about and see videos, etc., it's a whole other level in some of these more remote regions. Can you tell us what you know? Sure, yeah. Um, my background is from Kermanshah, it's like one of the Kurdish cities. And uh, today morning, I heard from my friend. Uh, she is in Mahabad, and she said, um, Sanandaj, uh, the school was closed, and uh, all the people um, they they were in a strike for 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 a week, and then um, I think today maybe or yesterday they opened the school, and the people came back to the work, but um, not all of them, not most of them, and uh, she said. Um, the, the internet connection because they shut down the internet there mm. and um, when they shut down the internet it doesn't mean that just they can use VPN or maybe it's you know the internet is like just a bit slow it's they shut down the internet no connection more severely than in yes. places like Tehran yes yeah. and she said um, because because police is in the street all the time and the people in Sanandaj and Maha but they're, they're they are somehow they are calm Right now, and mm. but they are um, they are chanting in the from home at night. They are starting to chanting when it's dark because they cannot find who is from which which building which um, right. home. Right. Yes. And then the problem is, um, she said, because of the internet, they do not have internet all the time. Maybe after three or four days, two three days, the the news come out. And for example, I heard it's delayed. They, yes, they don't, it's delayed. They're not hearing what's so going on. It's interesting in contrast because we've now that we've done a few shows talking to people inside Iran. Most of them, of course, have been in big cities. Almost all of them that we've talked to have been uh, Tehran, uh, Mashhad, even Rasht, um, and they seem less affected by the internet shutdown they said one one of them said uh i go out on the streets and uh, just find demonstrations and and they can sort of talk to but but this is much harder in a place like yes. Sanandaj, right? and so far i heard like the things that to be honest is bothering me is the things that happen in kurdistan in like Sanandaj, like kurdish cities because they do not have a connection to the internet they cannot send anything it doesn't publish that Mm, as much as the other news comes out from the other cities. Yeah, yeah. For example, I heard um, today, today, today they arrested a 17 years um, young boy in the, from school, and so nobody knows where he is. Yeah. And two days ago, it happened again to five students, 17 years old, and they two girls, three boys, and they they arrested them, and nobody knows where, where they are. Yeah, it's happening there, the same as the other cities. And in somehow maybe worse than the other cities, but unfortunately, uh, the new come the news comes out very late. Uh, speaking of people not knowing where where folks are, we we're recording this at the end of the day on a on on Monday, October seventeenth, and um, we on the on the weekend we had something of an inspiring story of this um, climber, uh, El Naza Rekabi. Is how do I say her name? Shai? Rekabi. Rekabi. Yes. Um, and who, of course. I'm sure pretty much everybody's listening right now, so I've seen the video of her mm -hmm. um, appearing at uh, an international competition, sport competition, um, without uh, Rusari, without a hijab, which Daria, just to, to tell us how, that's a very significant, obviously. 
It is very significant. And I still am trying to process actually how brave she was to do that because I'm still thinking that how is she going to go back? Like what's going to well, happen? Right. Well, the reason I said where we're recording this is because I think as of right now, the news is we don't know where she is. Is that is that it, Shaya? Yes. Actually, before we, we start recording, that was the news. But right now, just right now, there's a news comes out that uh, someone told BBC that she left uh, South Korea to Iran. So she's gone, going she back. She just left South. Yeah. Oh boy. That's yeah. even more worrisome. <laughs> I mean, it, there, it, that's it's, like it's keep coming. Yeah. Okay. Well, that this news will be probably be old to anybody who's went by the time you're listening mm-hmm. to this. But uh, yeah, we. I, I, I guess the point should be made that it's such an amazing active simple act of defiance it is and and i remember when i saw that first i was thinking you know when when athletes from iran um take part in these international competitions it's very different than anywhere else in the world because not only are they accompanied by their coaches and and you know the the staff that supports them in whatever sport it is that they're doing they're also um they also have a chaperone of sorts who is directly associated with I mean, I guess the regime in one way or another, who's kind of there to make sure that they conform to everything that they're supposed to. Um, And so when I saw this video, the first thing I was thinking is, what was that conversation like? Or, you know, what was that, um, I mean, I don't even know if it was a conversation, but what happened there? What was her response to that individual who was with her or, or what took place? And just thinking about, you know, it's one thing to think about when she's going back to Iran and, and the hell that'll ensue when she does. But the other is, um, you know, how she was dealt with, with that individual. Yeah, I mean, they're not kind to athletes that, look, we've no. had we've had people on the show, you know, our, our second show ever of Rook Farinoza Lari, mm-hmm. you know, at one point refused to, uh, uh, was she a kickboxer? Uh, refused to do it without a hijab and, and stuff. Right. And for that was basically banned from competition mm-hmm. in her prime. She's a champion, wasn't able to uh, compete for Iran anymore, had to escape and defect and all of this stuff. Um, I, when I say a simple act of defiance, though, what was what's amazing to me is she wasn't holding her fist in the air or she didn't, there was no. no big sign. There was a, It was so elegant and... and confident and this is who I am I'm walking I'm doing this and mm-hmm. it's almost to somebody who doesn't understand the context it yes. would sort of be well what's I don't understand what I'm watching here okay there's an athlete who's going up mm-hmm. a wall what's the and then you realize oh she's not wearing her hijab and and that's very mandatory for yes. um, athletes wearing the Iran jersey uh, etc um, so we'll but I guess we'll find out what happens. Yeah, and also they captured uh, her passport and her cell phone. Right. So <laughs> it's a, Not a surprise. Um, before we go to our first guest, and and um, I there's a, there's something in terms of what's happening in the diaspora. There's a proposal that seems to be getting a bunch of traction. That I should say that there's every week, every because we're on Mondays and Thursdays right now, and. Uh, People are, uh, I'm getting a lot of folks who want me to talk about their GoFundMe or their cause, or and, and it's hard to navigate through all these. We did want to mention this one because it is getting serious traction. Yeah. This is a proposal for the G7. It is. So, so 
it was a petition that was actually started by uh, Kava Shahruz, who we had on the show a couple weeks ago. And for anyone who might not be familiar, um, he is a lawyer, a human rights activist, and a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute, right. which is a public policy think tank that's actually based in Ottawa, Canada. So um, he started the petition on behalf of a group by the name of Iranians for Justice and Human Rights, um, which I believe is actually started in Toronto, and it's um, largely formed by some of the families from the uh, flight, flight 752. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So um, essentially, the petition has two main asks. The first is uh, the, the it's demanding the release of all political prisoners in Iran. That's the first ask. And the second is to identify and remove any and all Iranian diplomats or representatives within embassies and international institutions in these countries. So the countries that are being asked this um, are the G7 countries. So United Kingdom, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Canada, and the US. Um, and I mean, I think the last time I looked at it, it was already at 264,000 signatures, mm. I believe. Yeah. Um, the aim is 300,000 as it stands, but um, yeah, I mean, it's gained They'll traction. That. Yeah, yeah, very, very quickly. Thank you. Uh, you guys, thank you for this. Uh, thank you, Daria, for being here. Looking forward to having you uh, more regularly, Anahita. Back to your station. <laughs> thank you for, uh, and uh, thanks, Pega. Uh, let's get to our first guest. Um, she is the founder and director of the Cyrus Forum. This is a, an organization that states its mission as the peaceful and durable transition to democracy in Iran. She's a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute, the co-founder of Tabano, and the host of the Talking in the Free World podcast. Her writing has appeared in numerous publications, such as the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, and the Globe and Mail. And right now, Mariam Memar Saderi joins me from Washington, D.C. Hello. Hello, thank you for having me. Very nice to have you on the program. Thanks for doing this, Mary Amjan. Uh, the title of today's program is The Uprising Over a Month and Growing. So uh, let me start with a general question, a macro question. How, how do you assess where we are today in this new Iranian revolution? Okay, well, I think that we... Um, the people are only gaining in strength and, and power. Um, and that is almost as a function of the repression. So uh, totalitarian regimes as they fall will try to repress their way back to power and survival. And um, often what happens is that their repression backfires and their acts of uh, brutality um, cause people who hadn't been mobilized perhaps until um, the moment of revolution to to say enough is enough and um sometimes actually people have a sense of uh, guilt and shame that they haven't been active until then and so when they do enter it's with a force and um a ferocity that that is even uh, better or or more than those who have been active for um many years it's mm. sort of like uh, fresh blood right in the movement and um I think we're experiencing now uh, that uh, phenomenon, and so um, what I think is important, and I and I try, I try to do this myself, is to emphasize the people's um, acts of courage, creativity, resilience, unity, solidarity, um, newness every day in terms of what they're doing. Emphasize all that along with 
emphasizing the brutality of the regime because particularly those of us who are writing and working in the English language, um, we need to make sure that people in the outside world know that these people are capable of that of making that fundamental change. They're not just capable of being victims. <laughs> They're capable of owning their own fate, mm. their future. Yeah, and, and, and also at the same time to inform people in English uh, around the world because a lot of Persians who um, would would know would understand that the Persian language are much more familiar with the last 43 years of this regime to inform people that this this revolution didn't pop out uh, pop up out of nowhere uh, while the precipitant was Massa Amini it's um it's been years in the making right absolutely it's been years in the making and really you can uh, take it back as far back as the revolution itself you know there's just in the early days of the revolution, uh, women came out on the streets. It's it's significant. I mean, the one reason that people repeat it this so much is because it is so important. The roots of this revolution are in the 1979 revolution. People at the time couldn't get rid of this massive momentum of the 1979 revolution. They tried. Women came out on the streets for four days. My mom was one of them. But that furor and the the almost the a collective insanity was so strong that um there was nothing stopping the wave of totalitarian terror and that's what it was it was very fast it came on very quickly mm -hmm. um that convergence of the uh islamist ideology and marxist leninist ideology that that really still with us in so many ways. I mean, it, people couldn't get rid of it in the early days of the revolution and they tried very hard and and uh, we're still we're still confronted by a lot of bias and misperceptions. So people who are participating in this revolution uh, will still sometimes have misperceptions about what um, Iran was before the revolution. But anyway, without getting into that too much, um, I just think that our, our newfound unity is is very significant, and it's what's driving everything. Well, forward. I mean, there are um, a lot of people who are um, jumping on the bus uh, now uh, for for regime change, and and some of them, um, as you as you said, uh, I thought very sensitively in the in in the beginning, are new blood, new fresh energy, which is great. Um, but you are someone who's been working at this. It's been your job for to to a certain extent for a few years, uh, and you're not new to pushing for a change of regime in Iran. Did you, uh, on a, just on a personal level, did you anticipate that this would happen this year? Well, the since late 2017, early 2018, we've been seeing the kinds of protests where the level of anger is very, very high. And couple that with the fact that dissidents like Majid Tabakoli and Hossein Ronaghi have been pushing red lines quite overtly from inside the country in ways that are completely unprecedented. And then this wave of women and girls being so active. Um, it's not that I don't know many people who predicted that it would be right now, uh, because the trigger, of course, was the killing of Massa Amini. But quite a few people I know kept thinking, thinking and saying that the crises, the the suffering that people are are enduring, is just getting to a boiling point. Mm. Um, it's a convergence of so many different kinds of 
suffering and a sense of there is no future. There's mm. no future economically. There's no future when it comes to um, a merit-based system where if you have studied and you have skills, you can do something with your life. There's no future when it comes to personal freedoms. There's no future when it comes to clean air and water and of environmental viability. On so many levels, uh, mm. people felt like there's no future. So in some ways, yes, I think we were waiting for it. You know, um, uh, if I may, uh, if to me it was it was it wasn't a surprise that there was a, a massive protest that sprung up. We've dealt with a lot of them, even in, in the time that this show has been going, the two and a half years. We've dealt with the anniversary of Aubonne. We've dealt with Flight Seven Five Two. We've dealt with Navidad Kari. We've dealt with you know. So you, we know that what's bubbling there. But what has been perhaps a surprise, and I dare say I'm one of those who was surprised. I was, I guess, more. Uh, I don't want to say hopeless, but maybe just cynical, uh, uh, is is how this has sustained and grown. And mm. the reason why some of us didn't necessarily dare to dream that it could, uh, and I'm not suggesting that it's a rosy situation right now. Obviously, what's happening in Iran is devastating but in terms of the, the crackdown, but, but just that the growth of the protests and the continued growth, et cetera. Uh, we are often told the regime anticipates dissent at this point, and, it, and it's used to protests that it cracks down on. And, and I even had somebody tell me in the first days of this uprising, well, the regime always knows that there will be an Amasa Amini, and they know how to squash it. And of course, we've seen that. We've seen the internet blockages and the, the crackdowns, etc. Why are those techniques not working this time? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that for one thing, the internet, it, it, there is enough connectivity that it, it, the videos are getting out. And, you know, it's not like people didn't make people power revolutions before the internet. Uh, neighborhoods galvanize, mobilize each other. It's not as though there needs to be a call at the national level for people to know that they are already angry and they are already ready to come out onto the streets. A lot of the creativity and the the tactical diversity that this mo movement has is because people are finding themselves, each other and themselves in the streets. And a lot of that communication is happening in the streets physically with people being together. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, I think that they're, they are very, very self-reliant. I think, you know, if you look back on the 2009 movement, there was the, the, the slogan to Obama, Yobona, Yobama. Mm -hmm. uh, this time it's like, it's almost as though people have realized it's all about them. Hmm. And the world at large, unfortunately, is quite different. Um, the, the democracies of the world have shown that they're willing to let Hong Kong go to China. They're willing to appease Putin so much that he feels he can attack Ukraine. They're willing to let Afghanistan just go back to the Taliban and basically betray the girls and women there. Yeah. So, and they're willing to let Syria be, be completely annihilated. So the Iranian people follow the world news very closely. They know all this. They know who Biden is and that he has been following a, 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 a policy of appeasement and he knows what a, they, they know what Obama is about. 
I don't think that they're as interested in what U.S. foreign policy is all about as we who are maybe outside of Iran are anymore. Not because they don't want a better policy. Of course they do. But they're realizing that with all these crises at home, they've just got to push forward on their right, own. Right. And they've pushed forward on their own. They see and witness their own power. They're not even really focusing anymore right. on getting the help. But interestingly, Obama has witnessed their uprising and has has done some, I don't know if I would call it soul searching, but he at least came out and said that he was wrong. He said it a little too nonchalantly for my taste. But No, but, um, but, but, he, but, but he's saying it, which some folks, quite frankly, who um, still, you know, embrace that policy have not said i mean he's at least he's saying i made a mistake you know um which is yeah. uh, uh like i say some folks are sort of stuck in that in that mode still um let me ask you about the, what you think about yeah. the role of the diaspora then, because I hear you on Iranians inside Iran, especially the young ones, self-determination. We're not waiting for anybody to come and save us, et cetera. Um, in, I'm saying that in their voice. Um, yeah. But uh, there, there surely is, uh, first of all, we've just been talking about yet another big demonstration that we had here in Toronto on the weekend. Mm -hmm. And I, having lived here for most of my life, I, yeah. I, I cannot believe sometimes that I'm walking this time we were downtown we were on major arteries of Toronto Bloor Street and Young Street and thousands of Iranians walking with a collective voice and I, I just thought I never believed this day would even come and we yeah. owe the gratitude I keep saying to those in Iran for inspiring us uh, yeah. to, to, to be together and to have this kind of unity and I know based on some interviews we've done you know, using pseudonyms, et cetera, with some of the protesters on the front lines inside Iran, that they're aware that the world is, has responded in terms of the diaspora, that is, and that there's been these big protests and supportive demonstrations in Toronto, LA, Washington, London, whatever, and that they say that gives us energy. But um, with that said, what effect do you think this notable loud voice of the diaspora at this point is having? I think it's important, and I c couldn't agree with you more, that we get our energy from Iran, uh, the people inside the country. I think it's important because the diaspora is mobilizing, and then because they're mobilizing, getting support from people like J.K. Rowling and, I mean, I don't know, so many important celebrities from every kind of, mm. you know, every kind of celebrity really and then because of because those people like jessica chastain or or yeah justin bieber yeah i mean big big names mm -hmm. <laughs> um uh and another one oh shakira that's huge um uh and there's another one i want to keep i keep thinking about whose husband is uh is iranian and britney um, spears yeah, Britney yeah. Spears. Thank you. So when when the diaspora, particularly young people who've been bo who are born outside of Iran or maybe whose parents even don't speak Farsi very well, Persian very well, um, when they see these non-Iranians being so vocal, then it really inspires them to be like, "What? I'm Iranian, and these people are talking about my country, my people." It just keeps going. It keeps going. I think we're in that right now. And the people of Iran have shown that they know how to use that social capital. They're not letting it go. You know, the most important thing that they're doing is is 
is keeping going. They're having the protests again and again. And I think that the main, main, main thing that needs to happen, which we're seeing signs of now, is that there need to be labor strikes that mount and so that we can get to the general worker strike that is nationwide and across sectors. Um, if I can go from the macro to the micro and some some more difficult kind of content. The, the, I opened today's show with an essay entitled Never Forget the Massacre of Zahedan. Um, Miriam, what, what do you think we learn from Bloody Friday, where this the regime security forces opened fire on children, even bystanders, in the streets at a at a protest in southeast Iran. Uh, what 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 should we learn from that? We have to learn that every single one of us is Iranian, and we are only as strong as our weakest link in the chain. So it doesn't matter how mobilized and erudite and determined people in Tehran are if we forget about how people in Zahedan or uh, Khuzestan or or any any part I mean this we have become a country where people with graduate degrees are cool bars or people with graduate degrees, if they need to go back to be in a place like Zahedan because they have to take care of their mom and dad, can't earn a living. Um, we have to remember that all of us are from the same place where, the, where we are one. And even as the movement has unity, we have to remember that the reality of life is so is so is so varied for people who all these people call themselves Iranian, but look at the lives, look at the look at the difficulties, look at how how hard it is for someone who's in Sistan Baluchestan to live. Um, we can't forget how much killing there has been of the um, Baluchis. I yeah. mean, a significant portion of execute those executed are on a regular basis from that province, and we have an obligation to be the voice of that weakest link i think always the most marginalized the most poor the most um you know this regime came to power with a revolution in the name of the downtrodden the yeah. mustazafin and it has created an entire nation of mustazafin and in the name of god and in the name of the poor uh people who people who profess to be pious steal from the people and in that sense, I don't think there's ever been a Im more immoral mm. regime. I mean, I think it's where we're really high up there with the with the Third Reich and yeah. North Korea because because these people are doing it in the name of God. But there's this there is an added layer when we go to the um, the regions that are outside the main the big cities, the big urban centers, uh, and when we talk about places like Ardabil or Sanandaj or Zahedan, and um, you know, there's been a fair bit of speculation that the the, the security forces in 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 Balochistan and Zahedan uh, they knew that they could kill with impunity. They could just sort of um, open live ammunition on on a crowd in a way that they wouldn't probably in Tehran or in Shiraz. And the reason that they thought they could is because they figured nobody will care. Um, well, and 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 that's pretty shameful. That that is an attitude that they can they can take um but it comes from a a legitimate place where these 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 parts of iran have been neglected um by everyone to a certain extent right 
I completely agree. And I mean, I, I, I don't want to say this because I like to be hopeful and positive, particularly at a time like this, but even a lot of the people who are part of a democracy movement or a human rights movement, they will neglect the 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 reality of life for those people that are the most marginalized. It's unfortunate. Um, we need to put a we need to put aside nationalists, chauvinism, and really when we talk about being Iranian, be talking about every single person who lives in that geography of Iran. Uh, and every single form of Muslim uh, person. Um, what 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 did you this past weekend? Um, there's, there's probably no Iranian alive that wasn't um, horrified by. Uh, well, there, there are some Iranians here, who, but I mean, for for those of us in the diaspora, there was a there was mm-hmm. a, a, a collective gasp when we saw that big fire in Evin Prison, and um, and we still don't know the details. Of and of course, the 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 regime is not forthcoming in telling us exactly what's happened, other than um, some bullshit platitudes about uh, well, nobody got in, a few people got injured, everything's fine. Uh, what what did you make of the Evin Prison situation? on the weekend? Well, um, about Avin, I think some things that are significant is that uh, some political prisoners were able to break a a wall in the prison and a doorway and get to the place where they can um, have some fresh air, this enclosed area with fresh air, because there was smoke everywhere. And so they wanted to get at least outside so they could breathe. Um, and when they got there, the prison authorities sprayed them with tear gas. So imagine you have smoke coming all around you, and then there's they they've been sprayed with tear gas. And uh, some people apparently managed to to uh, escape the prison when they left the building area. They realized that the entire grounds around Evin are mined. So there's mines everywhere. Mm. Um, when the people, um, the the family members of the prisoners and just ordinary Iranians got on the streets and just like they went to Sharif University when it was being attacked, they were honking their horns the whole way. They got to the building of Evin prison and there were security forces there who had guns and they told them in no uncertain terms that if you come and stay in this area, we will shoot you. All right. So also what was uh, interesting, I think, is that there was a hill there and people went up to the hill and they held up their smartphones with the light on and they kept moving their phones uh, and and saying Magbar Diktator very loudly so the prisoners inside the prison could hear that they are doing all they can to get rid of this regime, to give them moral support. Because, you know, for four decades, people have been stuck in that prison and other people have just driven by. I mean, it's not like it's in, in the middle of nowhere. I think right. prison is, right. is in Tehran. And people have just gone past those people as if uh, as if it's normal that there's medieval torture being carried out inside there. What was your first reaction when you saw the uh, footage of a, like you were probably on social media like the rest of us and you see this fire? What was your first reaction? Well, to be honest with you, my very first reaction was that maybe the political prisoners created a fire. Hmm. But then I thought, well, no, because 
it could go either way. Um, it could go either way. But what I did, what I did write, of course, is about Sinuarex and the prison massacre, about how this regime has no qualms about killing people. Yeah. Um, and well, clearly, we saw that the fire was not being dealt with, regardless of who started it. You know, right. it's, it's the regime's right. responsibility to take care of it. So. Um, yeah, it's still. I mean, oh, and, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I, I I find it hard to believe that a few people were scuffed up or whatever the regime's ex explanation is when you see a fire like that in a contained um, building. And and of course, as you state, it's not just a prison. It's a it's a prison uh, of some symbolic importance in terms of who the people in that prison are. Mm -hmm. um, so um, you, you you mentioned earlier. The Biden administration, I mean, you, anybody who knows you or knows of you knows you've been an avid critic of the Biden administration's mission to restart nuclear deal talks with Iran. Where, where do you think those talks are at today? Well, I think it's important today. This morning, Richard Haas, who's the president or the head of the uh, Council on Foreign Relations, he's the, maybe the most establishment of establishment voices when it comes to U.S. foreign policy. He's very cautious. He's from the realist school. Um, he he said that these negotiations are going to go, they're, they're done, it's finished. And he gave two reasons. And he said that it's, it's likely that the people of Iran will be successful in bringing down the regime, which is very significant for somebody who's just very, very conservative in his tone all mm. the time. I remember during the war in Syria, he was always giving reasons for why it was more prudent not to do anything. He doesn't speak about human rights very much. So he gave two reasons why he thought everything is said and done now with nuclear talks. Um, and one is the the repression of the the regime's repression of the Iranian people, and the other is the the, the outright support to Putin uh, for the, for his um, right. killing in Ukraine. Because as as we've seen, the drones are being used to to kill people in Kiev itself. Um, so I think that's significant. I think it's significant that people, Iranian Americans haven't let up, and Iranians in the diaspora in general have not let up about letting this administration know that like, look, it's gonna be, it's a morally bankrupt position for you to give this, because why are they negotiating? They're negotiating to get to a deal. What is the deal gonna do? The deal is gonna result in giving the regime hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. And um, that's essentially funding uh, terror and repression right now. So there's no way around it. And ultimately, the people of the State Department have to have to ask themselves what matters more: partisanship and and elections in America, and my ego and my career, or listening to people across the spectrum of Iranians who are concerned about human rights when they say, "Look." It's really, really obvious you can't give the regime money right now and you can't give it legitimacy. And of course, you know, Hamid Ismailun has led a petition to get the G7 countries yes, we to just talked um, about it. Yeah. relations. What yeah, do you think of that? That's really important. You, you, you support that, I suppose. I definitely do, yeah. Uh, by the way, let me just ask you as a sidebar because somebody asked me this question. And I don't know the answer to it, but what if we? And I always have to, but the, the you know the the caveat that this is you know let's not get too excited. But if there were a re regime change in Iran, if we were to be able to get rid of this regime of the people of Iran, where it were to be able to do so, uh, what happens to those deals that the current 
regime has with China and Russia? Do you know the answer to that question? <laughs> well, um, no. The answer is I don't know the answer to that question. Mm. But I think that we have to really make a case for um, when when you know the Cyrus Forum organization that I started uh, is focused on all the major sectors of governance after. Um, this regime collapses. One of them is national security and national security requires a foreign policy that protects, you know, the national interest and the people. And we're going to have to make the point right from the get go that, look, this regime got us into a situation that was really detrimental to the Iranian people, but also detrimental to global security. So let's let's try and reset things for the benefit of everybody here. And I think we might have some good allies. I think we'll have good allies in the Middle East. I think we'll have good allies in Europe and North America. I think we'll have people that are, will help us to make that case. Mariama, it's a it's a great pleasure to talk to you. I'm, I'm I'm grateful that you've given us the time today. What if you just on a final question? I mean, what do you and I'm I forgive me for the crystal ball question, but what what do you think we can anticipate in the coming weeks? Yeah, like you, I like you said, crystal ball. I never, I never really predict the future. But you know, Jian, I'm really kind of comfortable saying that we will see more protests. We will see more acts of defiance from people like Hamidis Mayliun, um, people bringing people together. I mean, the, this revolution is only a month old, and look at how many people are are really shining in terms of leadership right now in our community. Kavesharuz, who's like a brother to me, how much he's done. Hamed uh, Ismailun again, I mean, how much these people have done. And I think we're going to see more acts of good character, um, uh, principled leadership. I think we will see much more from the people of Iran. Um, I would like very much to see the nationwide strikes. And I think that every political leader every every group every individual really should be asking themselves and each other why why that isn't happening yet because it is the number one way to topple this regime thanks so much for the time today thank you so much for having me bye bye is a special edition of Rook, The Uprising, over a month and growing. 
Let's go to the UK next, and my next guest is a British-Iranian visual artist who has gained global recognition for his dynamic, imaginative, and grand paintings. Afshin Naruni immigrated to England in the late 1990s from Iran. He's lived most of his adult life in London. He's been very active in the protests in England, and right now, Afshin Naruni joins me from London. Hello. Hi, my friend. How are you? Well, I'm, you know, it's the interesting circumstances, right? On the one hand, it's very inspiring and and uh, an exciting time. You and I have traded messages about that, a revolution afoot. On the other hand, from day to day, the, the news is so appallingly horrific um, that one doesn't know what, what emotion to have. Where do you situ- situate yourself on the emotional spectrum? Uh, obviously, I really can't describe all the mixture of emotions I have. It's, it's the worry at the same time. I'm proud. I'm feeling really proud of what's happening in the in Iran, and um, just sad and devastated for all the carnage uh, that is, is happening there. Yeah, but then again, I remind myself that. I didn't expect no less from the Islamic Republic when when push comes to shove. Yeah, you know? you've told Ashley. You told the. I saw a clip of you on BBC News, not BBC Persian, mm. by the way, but the actual BBC. That the fight in Iran is the greatest movement. I think you said the most impactful movement for freedom and, and democracy in the world. Why? Why? Yes. Do you, why do you believe that? Um. For a couple of reasons. One, Iran is the extreme version of what could happen in other parts of the world. With all the right-wing and far-right gaining power around Europe. And, I mean, we, we missed it by whisker in the United States. You know, make no mistake, that was a coup happening on the 6th of January. You know? And... For Iranian people, I think the Iranian people are showing the way to the rest of the world. I mean, we we have Russia already dealing with with a similar kind of regime, and in in Poland, in Hungary, and I mean, the fascists just uh, won the election in Italy as well, and the far right is gaining power in the street and across Europe, across the world. And Iran is the extreme version of those uh, in my opinion, extreme version of those um, um, kind of uh, mentalities in terms of when it comes to politics and power. And um, the, the fact that we've been dealing with the Islamic Republic for 43 years and the, 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 the fight against the regime didn't start now. Yeah. You know, it starts right from the start. We had the women's protests and uprising against the, against the uh, compulsory hijab in in uh, at the beginning of the revolution, a year after the revolution, and continuously we have had movements. Okay, they become more frequent now and become more widespread. I mean, this is, I, I think, this is it. I mean, nothing in Iran is going to go back to where it was a month ago. This is this is the beginning of the end for the Islamic Republic. Yeah, it's that's definitely become apparent we were just talking about how um you know it it felt like a big step at first to start calling this a revolution but you're absolutely right like how do you put this um 
genie, if you will, this inspiring genie led by the, the youth, the young girls and boys of Iran. How do you put this back in the bottle at this point? How do you... It's out now. It's done. As I say, it, this is... I mean, for 40 years, when things like this has happened, similar to this, everybody says, oh, this is it, this is it. But this is the first time I'm saying, this is it. Mm. You know? Tell me why you're proud. You said, I'm really proud. Because... When I see these people, I mean, mostly kids, on the street, they're doing that something that me personally, I never had when I was their age, never had the nerves, the bravery, the audacity to do anything like that. And it's not just that their bravery and being on the street, on the street and, you know, standing in front of the... Um, the bullets and the uh, being beaten up and all that. I saw a few of them talking on social media and on different different media. They know what they want. They had their he- heads screwed on. Yeah. In, in terms of, you know, and that's really something for I mean, twenty year old. I mean, everything about this generation and the people and and the way the country has come together. I mean, they've been scaring the opposition of the breakup of Iran and this and that and the way the whole country all regions have come together united you know and and the young and old different uh, if you like social classes it's just a kind of unified the country this thing mm. and that, that all of that all together really makes me really really proud that was something I was honestly before this all happened was very pessimistic about it so. You on your Instagram, Afshin, you you said uh, on one of your posts, um, you 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 seem to be trying to do a call out to everybody, especially non-Iranians around the world. And you said, "We came out for Ukraine. We came out for Syria. Um, what is it that you want people to do?" Wow. Well. I mean, people, uh, the Iranian and the uh, outside of Iran and the non-Iranians, be, 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 be people's voice, you know, try to spread the news. I mean, I, I mean, I have to be honest, they have found a lot of people have come out and and uh, supported the movement in Iran. I mean, big names with a lot of clout and huge uh, platforms. They use their platforms, you know, from, I mean, you name it, from... Uh, Hollywood celebrities to Roger Waters to, you know, uh, Daily Show, even, you know, mainstream media, they've been talking about it. And and this is a good thing. But the thing is, yes, the the word is out. Everybody's hearing it. It's been spread. And I, we, I just can thank people for doing that. And there's still are some, some groups that are staying out of this. This is one is uh, the uh, Western white feminist groups that they are keeping strangely very quiet. Those are the, should be the ones the forefront of this and when they, and they may not. And I, I, this call for uh, um, the governments, European governments, Canadian government, uh, Americans to, to back people up and do something about it, they're not going to do anything. Hmm. It, it is, it's us. It, it's us. It's, it's the people. I mean, show me once in the history of this planet that the big powers actually did something you know and yeah they cared 
about anything but their own interest. Yeah. They're only going to step in to do something if it's in their interest, one, or if we take it so far that they know they have to kind of, in a very near future, they have to deal with a new government in Iran. I started the show today talking about Zahid Awad and the, the absolutely terrorizing massacre that has occurred there that I, I said is, is, is like your, your worst horror movie, but except it's real life in that part of Iran. Um, I, I, and again, I mean, we've said this a number of times, um, but in different different ways, but were that to have happened in anywhere else, almost anywhere else in the world, certainly in a European country or in, in North America, something like that, I mean, it would be something to talk about for days, weeks, months, years, uh, and yet... It will never be forgotten. We, I mean, we're talk, talking about Europe and North America, yes. Anything like that could never happen here, and and if it does, if it did, as you say rightly, rightly say, it's it will never be forgotten, and we will not forget. We will not forget it as Iranian. It's our responsibility to not forget about Zahidan. I That's what yeah, I believe. It is. It is our responsibility, and we will not forget. And I mean, to be honest with you, the atrocities that the Islamic Republic has committed in Iran, it doesn't start and end in, in Zahidan. You know, they've been doing it for years in in Zaydan, I mean in Balochistan, Sistan Balochistan. They've been doing it in Kurdistan. They've been doing. You know, I mean, it's just the, the it's the nature of this regime. You know, and um, we, we just need to kill as as much as to do as much as we can to 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 keep this alive and to to be their voice if we can. I mean, I'm, I feel. I mean. One of the my feelings, I feel helpless. Yeah. You know? There's nothing I can do. I mean, as, a, as somebody who's living in London and, you know, living my life here, I cannot even kind of send a message and ask people to get out and get on the streets and all that. I've never done that. I've never, all these years, anything that has happened, I had never allowed myself I never, never saw myself in a place to say anything like that, to ask people to go on the street in front of the bullets. You know, I, you, you can't do that. I mean, if I was there with them, yes, of course. But I'm not. And I, it's not our place to say that. But I can't help thinking to myself, if not now, then when? Yeah. You know? Yeah. There are our, your kids, our kids on the street, they're getting killed, they're getting arrested, they're getting all. If you're not going to make it to the streets and in our millions now, then when are we going to do? What was uh, it like being on the London protests for you? What What have you noticed? Has it been as I don't know energizing as it has been here in Toronto, going out and seeing thousands of Iranian Canadians regularly now coming out and uh, seemingly relatively unified way. Mm. Oh, they are relatively unified. I mean the first. The day it was when we were there to Trafalgar Square. It was a little bit in you know, a different groups of different uh, political views, but not quite sure about it. But now it's com- it seems to me everybody's for now they put put their differences aside and they are just going for the same uh, common target, if you like, uh, which is basically freedom, 
prison for Iran and be the be the people in, in voice of people inside Iran and help them to be heard. And it is it is energizing. It is a I mean, London doesn't have the huge Iranian diaspora community that Toronto has, but uh, um, still a lot of people coming and, uh, every week, every every call out. People are coming, and it's a lot of people, a lot of noise, and, and it, it's heartwarming. And I see people on the streets of London when when, when it happens that it, in the previous times that you would never see them, you know. Mm. So it pull, uh, drags a lot of other people that you usually usually wouldn't get involved, drag them out as well, which is good to see. Do you do you reflect on? I mean. Part of you, the reason you left Iran is because you is that you couldn't stand life there anymore under this regime. Um, do do you do you wish you were there right now? I mean, wish I was there on my legs and my own two feet. I don't know that the situation I am now, I could do anything. You know, but I really wish. I could be there on my own feet, and I hope that I would match their bravery there as well. But I'm not quite sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I would either. They're pretty amazing, yeah. these kids. Uh, can, can, can I ask you? Do you? We were talking this morning with the Rook team about, um, you know, just talking about Evin and and all of the all of the creative talent. Uh, that is literally being caged in that prison, um, uh. let alone in the country where it's suppressed in general and um, all the artists of different stripes, songwriters, painters like yourself, writers that have either had to keep quiet or have had to um, exile themselves. Do you, is, it, is it too early to dare to dream about what would happen in... Uh, if this regime is gone for artists? Uh, I've already started dreaming. I have already started dreaming. But what would happen after this regime is gone? Is that what you are? Are you asking me the question of what's going to take their place or? No, no, actually I'm asking, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm really talking about the, the flowering of like, like how how in, you know you know there's this despite forty three years of doing pretty much everything you could to to put a fucking mm -hmm. roadblock in front of it there's still great Iranian creators you know I'm just thinking about what would happen with the creative class uh, your contemporaries who didn't leave Iran uh, or who are suppressed even outside of Iran um, what would happen if this was if that leash was untied you know. You know, have to wait and see. I, I really don't know. I mean, there are a lot of talents in Iran. Um, my generation, previous generation, that they haven't been allowed to work, even. And they haven't been allowed, uh, uh, been able to get out of the country either. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I really, I think when it comes to, to, to the artists and the arts, I think, uh, I dream about the time when it comes and the artists that haven't been able to work in Iran for God knows how many years 
and they're stuck in Iran, haven't been able to create and carry on with their profession and their talents, they get back to work. Yeah. Because they're not one or two. There are lots of people like that. You, you said that there's no going back. Um, what, what, where does your, before I let you go here, what, where does your gut tell you this is all leading? The leading is the end of Islamic Republic. That's where that's the end, end game is, and that's where it's leading to. And when it's going to be, there's a, there's a long way to left, you know, there's a long way to get there, I think. But this is the beginning. This is the beginning. And the, um, the more people that can come out, the quicker this is going to happen. This is the this is the way it has happened. That it, the way it has uh, unfolded so far in the last four or five weeks, it cannot be undone. Mm. It cannot be you know to as you said you know the genie is out of the bottle, and what all the dictatorships throughout the his, history have done, and have, they never learn is that the more blood you shed the weaker you get, you know? And they never learn from that. Well, it's worked for them for, for four decades. It's, it's beginning to collapse now, thank God. Absolutely. Afshin, uh, it's, it's great to see you, brother. Thanks for the time. Uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll talk more in the coming days. We will. Bye -bye. Look after yourself. Bye bye. Bye bye. This is a special edition of Rook, the uprising over a month and growing. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Let's go to Whippy, Ontario, Canada next. Shahzad Pejman is a former uh, gymnastics coach, a former provincial gymnastics champion in Khorasan in Iran. She was born and raised in Mashhad, received her master's in kinesiology from Ontario Tech University. She's been very active in the anti-regime protests and is the co-owner of the Bahordor Alast YouTube channel with millions of views and the goal of uniting people all across the world by focusing on cultural and language similarities. And right now, Shahzad Pejman joins me from Whitby, Ontario, Canada. Hello. Hi, Jean John. Thanks for having me. Nice to have you on the program. First, first things first, I mean, the name of this episode of Rook is over a month and growing, this uprising. How do you feel about where things are at? I know you've been very active in recent weeks. Where is your mind and heart right now? Um... I feel very proud at the same time that I am sad about all the events happening in Iran. But I think 
the reason I'm proud is that the Iranians are united more than ever. Uh, you see people from different ethnic backgrounds, different religious backgrounds. They all have the same goal. Uh, maybe before, you know, people, uh, especially with the green movement, I think some people believed in a reform. Uh, but I think now we all have the same goal, which is to change the regime. Yeah. There doesn't seem like there's a lot of room for anybody who wants to reform now, right? Yes, I think I think if still up to this day, anyone believes in that, they're either naive or they're a supporter of this regime. Yeah. When you talk about being inspired, I, we were talking about it at the at the top of the show um, in our roundtable there about how, how, you know, walking along on, on Saturday when I was walking um, on Young Street, first of all, I mean, thousands of Iranians on Young Street, it's, my life was flashing before my eyes. I, I could never imagine that happening. Downtown Toronto, not Young Street up in Richmond Hill, but downtown Toronto seeing that. And I was thinking we owe such a debt to those brave young people, uh, to people, to all those people in Iran who are putting their lives on the line right now um, yes. for this, because not only are they potentially, hopefully, uh, creating change in Iran, um, and like we say, at, at a great cost in terms of people being losing their lives, etc. But they are inspiring um, this this pride in the in the in the world. I mean, they it's because of them that we are all together on Bloor Street and Young Street and and singing chants together. And and we really owe a lot of gratitude to them. Yes, yes, uh, I think, uh, and also people that you interviewed in Iran. When I was listening to them, I was like, "Oh my God, they are the bravest people in the world." Yeah. So they are they are on the streets risking their lives. So I think us here. I think that is the least we can do to just find a protest. It's so easy to find a protest. There are a lot of them happening uh, in, in Toronto uh, uh, every weekend. So that's the least that every Iranian can do. Uh, as you know, we have two little kids, but uh, you know, there's no excuse. Just you, you can, if you want that, that that's the least that you can do. Let me ask you, you about, I'm going to ask you about going to ask you about your kids in a second but let me first yes. um, when you talk about unity uh, yes on the one hand it feels like there's a lot of unity uh, in the in the diaspora you know in support of uh, as we say those who are fighting for um, change in Iran at the same time it, it, it I'm you know I can't decide whether I think we're unified or not because there's also a lot of intra-community debate there's a lot of people pointing fingers at each other saying you know you you weren't here fast enough you were you have a different opinion you're an opportunist etc and then you go to some of these demonstrations and there's still one group screaming at another group and uh do, do you feel like overall there that unity really does exist or are you seeing some of this infighting as well and some of which is necessary and and maybe important uh, yes, uh, I have definitely seen what you explained, uh, but I think that that does not matter uh, much because uh, because we, we should look at the bigger picture, right? And that is that is the, the protest that we saw on October first, for example, over fifty thousand people, right? They were on the protest. So in Toronto, I, yeah. I don't think yeah. I don't think it, it's that important that you know 
there are some maybe some miscommunication or some mi misunderstandings that is happening. Uh, I, I think we shouldn't focus on them. I think we should only uh, focus uh, on the unity. Uh, I, that's actually one of the things that the regime wants, right? To uh, instead of focusing on on the goal. Uh, to have the attention on some, you know, minor issues. So I think we should really be careful not to focus on those. Right. It doesn't really right. matter at this point. Although, <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I have to say, your partner, Bahador, I mean, there, there are certainly <laughs> people out there that, you know, I mean, he's posted a bunch about this, who who he believes in the past have, have been enablers of this regime that yeah. shouldn't be allowed on the bus now, right? Uh, so I, I, it's it's a complicated yes. one. Yes, that's true. You know, I mean, I mean, you ha we have to look at the case, e each person's case uh, personally. I mean, yes, there are some people who are uh, who are having speeches that are uh, known to be connected to the regime, and they are unfortunately still up to this day, especially in the U.S. Uh, you know, there are saying some stuff that is in line with what the regime wants. Uh, but I mean, if they're ordinary people. Uh, we shouldn't really worry about them. But yes, uh, about those those people, uh, there are petitions. Uh, I'm sure you. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. you know about we the know petitions what you're going about. Yeah. Yes. You you mentioned. So, but each person is different. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. You you mentioned your kids. I mean, like I say, yes. uh, you've been so active in this movement for change in Iran, and and on your Instagram, you have a video of your kids, your two little kids, your cute kids, dancing yes. to Shervin's now. Yes. iconic song bad oh yeah and and waving yes. shida flags what what i'm curious what kind of conversations you have with them about what is going on is it important for um, you guys to explain it all do they know yeah. what i mean um they're very young right uh, one is four and one is two so uh, they don't understand everything right but since they were younger uh, we always uh, talk about <laughs> poetry, so they know some some poems. Uh, like my daughter can sing a Iran, or they they know some parts of Baroye, and that's actually because I've been listening to this <laughs> music, me and Bahadur together, so many times. So they're just they're just interested in that. I I think it's very for us. It's very important that uh, our kids know about the Persian culture. They know where they're coming from. That that's very important to us. We are proud Canadians, but at the same time, we're Iranian Canadians. So it's very important for us that the kids know, you know, the, the language uh, and the culture. Okay. Let me shift to something certainly more serious and more difficult to talk about. I, I opened the show talking about Zahedan and some of the places in Iran that have been devastated by this regime that are outside of the dominant cities and even the dominant ethnic groups. Uh, you, you are Baha'i. Um, what what can you tell us from your perspective about the treatment of minorities under this this regime? Uh, yes, uh, so about about the ethnic uh, minority groups, I think uh, all these years uh, the regime tried to uh, tell it, it was their trick uh, to tell everyone that oh these ethnic group minorities are separatists. They want to have their own government, their own country. And that way, uh, they can justify uh, their crimes uh, against these uh, minority groups. But like I said, I think over these past few weeks, we know that that's not the case. That's not what they want. They're united. They, their goal is just to change the regime. Uh, 
Uh, and also uh, about Baha'is, yes, I have a lot of Baha'i relatives. And uh, what what really makes me sad is that uh, it's just uh, the oppression is very normalized for them. Um, so my mom, um, my mom always says that when they were kids, the regime agents will come on a very regular basis. They will come to their houses. They will look at anything related to their religion, and they will just take them. Hmm. And they were so used to that; like they didn't even question that. Take, take uh, who? Take. They, no, they're just their books. Uh -huh. Just their, anything, anything related to the to the religion. And also, I, I have a lot of relatives that were prisoned. Um, my aunt, my uncle, they were prisoned. My aunt was actually pregnant. So she went out of the prison, she gave birth, and again, she went back to the prison with an infant. Mm. And my cousin was uh, around three when they were finally released. And what was their crime? Just a personal belief. And I've seen yeah. that yeah. in my relatives, in a, in a lot of friends. And uh, it's just sad that they're used to that. It, they used to. They used to, they, they were just, okay, they think that that's their life, uh, and actually, with the with the fire with the fire happening at Evin, uh, there were a lot of Baha'is in in Evin prison, and uh, a lot of I, I saw their for, for uh, the for the, for the crime of being Baha'i. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. It's because they have that personal belief. Uh, I ha I have a lot of personal stories to say, like. Uh, my my uncle, uh, he was the bank manager. He was he was fired before after the revolution. Uh, my aunts, they were teachers, like elementary teachers. They were all fired. Uh, my <clears throat> my other uncle, <clears throat> sorry, uh, he actually lives in Whitby right now. He was a uh, he was a uh, he was uh, studying dentistry and um, he couldn't finish that because you know at the revolution they they fired all the baha'i university students yeah shahzad what, what is your feeling overall about um where things are going do you dare to dream that this is is going to be real change this time i think so i i, I think you know like like people say one solution revolution Right, it, it is not a protest anymore. It is a revolution, and I'm sure that people people in Iran they will not stop. I don't think they will stop until they get what they want. They're not they're not uh, scared anymore. If they were, they would stop. You know, before like the green movements and all all the other protests that haven't happened in Iran, the regime uh, was able to just shut everything. Right, they killed, they tortured, and people were uh, just scared. Right. But this time it is different. It's very different. All the world is talking about Iran. Everyone is supporting. I mean, most most countries, uh, all the celebrities, uh, politicians, uh, they're supporting all these uh, brave people of Iran. And I think they will not stop until they see these mullahs gone. Shahzad, I thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you for having me. Go hug your cute kids. <laughs> Thank you so much. I will. Bye-bye. Bye. That's Shahzad Pejman, and uh, that 
is full time for Rook for today, Shai. Um, on Thursday, we're going to do another, we're aiming to do, it's always difficult to predict what can happen because it, this is contingent upon us finding people in Iran who are able to speak to us and who we can connect with. Um, and uh, I mean, have a connection with because of the internet issues, etc. But um, we're certainly intending to do our fourth installment of Voices from Inside Iran this Thursday. And uh, back with another uh, edition of Rook as well on Monday. In the meantime, check us out on any or all of our platforms. You can visit our website at rookmedia.com. You can visit you can visit our website at rookmedia.com, rookmedia.com, where you can see all of our previous episodes, our guests, our different programs, um, our funnies, our videos, and in fact, become a patron of our show as well. There at the support us button. Um, that really makes a difference to us. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Roham, Anahita, Parisa, Pega, Meriton, and Shia. Thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content. Please do subscribe if you've not done so already on any of our platforms. Um, find, find me on Instagram at Giangomeshi. And as ever, Mizunmashi. <laughs>